This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Professor Jill Adler is internationally recognized as being at the forefront of maths education. She is, among other things, the president of the International Commission on Mathematical Instruction. Her work has impacted profoundly on maths education in this country, and she is regarded as a member, to, um, as a mentor to many women in the field, including the newly appointed vice chancellor of UCT, Professor Mamacheti Pakeng. Um, Professor Adler joins me in the studio now, and we're going to talk a little bit, Professor, and welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. We're going to talk a little bit about maths education. Morning or afternoon, and <laughs> hello to all your listeners. Thank you for having me on the program. I'm absolutely delighted to have you on the program, and this interview is long overdue. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've been so busy. Uh, it's, um, I've been an admirer of yours for many, many years in terms of the work that you do and the contribution you've made to maths education in South Africa. And, um, Professor, I'd, I'd like to start off with the fact that all the all the things that I've read about you indicate that you always had an aptitude for maths. That's true. My question then is, is having an aptitude for maths the same as having a talent for music? And if you've got it, you've got it. And if you don't, you're welcome to try and hard as, as hard as you can and work at it. But if you don't have it, you don't have it. So I, that's a really interesting question because I could have been a musician, I think. I played the piano for many, 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 many years and then had to give it up because um, I had to choose. Um, I think they're slightly different and also similar. I think to become a top mathematician, and there are, there are many in the world and many who are women, though not many women are recognized, and I can talk about that, about why that's a slower area of growth for women. Um, but just like there are only few concert pianists and few mathematicians, everybody can learn to play the piano. And everybody can learn to do mathematics. It's how far you go that becomes the question that's related not only to talent, but also, also to your intuitions, what you enjoy doing in life. Um, I don't know how those things interrelate, but they certainly do. I love doing mathematics. Um, and it's, you know, so how much of that is aptitude? How much of that is also what you like to do as a person? I think they interweave. You say anybody can learn to do maths. Indeed. Like anybody can learn to play the piano as if it is a skill that the harder you work at it, the better you get at it. Is that true for maths? <laughs> Yes, yes, you can. Everybody can learn maths. I think this notion that um, only some people can learn maths is what causes a lot of the problems. So can everybody be a top student in mathematics? No. no. Okay, but can everybody calculate? Yes. Can everybody think and generalize? Yes. Can everybody deal with symbolic systems? Yes. Uh, um, I'm wondering if there are any tweets coming in saying that they disagree with you vehemently. Yeah. Maybe, maybe then we can look at education. Right. And see, uh, that this is your area of expertise, sure. and and specifically in South Africa with second uh, English second language speakers. Um, firstly, has there been a change in the way that maths is taught over the years? We're here. Mm. Um. 
Jeez, I don't know how to answer that question because, you know, there's a big field internationally and um, about what mathematics is taught in schools. And a lot of it needs to remain uh, consistent because some of the mathematics you're trying to teach in school has not changed. Now, and some of it has. Okay, so, and a lot of it has. But there are basic skills. There are important ways of doing mathematics that are part of any curriculum, doesn't matter where you go in the world. You need to learn uh, number. You need to appreciate what number is, what the structure of number is, not just how to count and how to calculate. You need to learn what it means to generalize patterns in number, and those lay the foundation for algebra. Algebra is generalized. Uh, ways of working with number in generalized forms, and then algebra opens up a whole new word bec world because of its symbolic power. Uh, you can describe with algebra in like one or two symbols what you could, couldn't even write on a page. That's that's astonishing. That's absolutely astonishing. And some of the task of a teacher then is to share that with uh, with learners. It's it's power. The, the, just to say that its power is also what makes it, uh, difficult. Because you take a little, what looks like a little mathematical formula that to me is so obvious, and what's condensed into that is so many, um, concepts and meanings, uh, and so we would, the word we would use that is just reified, there's, there's so many things reified in this, and, and it's, there's a point at which for many people that becomes opaque. Right. Okay, and that I would talk that that you hit vertigo at some right. point, and some people get vertigo sort of at the end of primary <laughs> school, others the end of high school, others after starting some in tertiary. Um, some never really get it or want to get it; they're just much more interested in lots of other things. It doesn't matter; the, it doesn't mean they can't get it. They're not interested. They're reading. They're art, they're um, historians. Um, if you want to be a scientist, I'm afraid. You do need to have you, maths. You need to have maths. Um, you know, I can I pick up the excitement and the passion that you have for maths, and your eyes sparkle when you talk about formulas. And, and uh, you know, you inspire, you're inspiring me to want to learn maths. But when I think back on my maths learning, I remember very clearly my teacher in Stella 4, Mrs. de Villiers, who drummed the times table into us. Mm. And in fact, um, my punishment probably every single day of the week was to write out my times table. Okay. Okay. So I don't think you must conflate um, styles of teaching with mathematics. Right. Okay. So I don't know who this teacher is, and I really I don't want to. I can describe her to you in great know, detail. But, <laughs> but I, I can name a number of teachers. I can name... Not name them. I can point to my PE teacher who didn't like some <laughs> of the things that I did and made me stand with two boxes of chalk. Yeah. That doesn't happen. Um, sort of reward and punishment has long been dispensed of as a, as a way of learning. So anybody who did that, um, it's no surprise you didn't, you didn't enjoy like the mess. Yeah. yeah. So many kids were hit on the, you know, were yeah. smacked on the, for not, un, for not knowing their tables. There are, there are all sorts of myths at the moment and popular views about whether we do or don't need fluency. We do need fluency. I can't do the maths that I do if I had to stop and think 
how to calculate something or stop and think how to factorize or how to solve an equation must be fluent. I must not think about it. It's automated. The only way that happens, like riding a bicycle, like playing the piano, is because you've practiced. Okay, so that doesn't go out the window. It doesn't matter where you are, when you are. You have to practice some of the skills, uh, some of the routines, some of the procedures that have been developed over time because they're efficient, they work, uh, they help us do mathematics easily, and we have to get those under our belt. Otherwise, we can't do mathematics. Should we be smacked if we can't do it? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, the myths that come with that is, well, we don't need it anymore because we've got calculators. That's the one side. And the other one is having calculators in the classroom is destroying maths. Both of those are false, okay, because we've, our kids have got calculators whether we like it or not. It's how you develop number sense that becomes important. And number sense also only develops with practice and fluency. If you rely all the time on a machine to tell you what's sensible, you'll be in trouble. If you learn to use your own thoughts and, and ideas about what numbers are and if I'm multiplying two lots of tens, I shouldn't be getting a smaller number. I should be getting a bigger number. And if I'm multiplying fractions and they're proper fractions, I should be getting a smaller number. That's number sense. That's not do I know what nine times seven is and does it matter if I look it up on the calculator or remember it? That's not the issue. So we talk about number sense, and that will take me to my next question, which is, the ways we're teaching maths today are very different. And I know many of the private schools have introduced something called Singapore math. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. How did you know? <laughs> Do you know all the mothers that the Singapore maths are reduced to tears? Is that why you know I'm going to go there? No, 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 no. It's a, it's a much bigger, and it's, and it's an important and it's a serious question. So why Singapore maths and what is it about? There's loads of other things about maths. There's also Cumon maths. There's there's a load of things. One of the things that I think you will find in Singapore maths is lots of practice, I think, as you would find in Cumon. But that's not the point. So why did people turn to Singapore maths? Well, one is Singapore does really well. You know, I've brought, I thought you were going to ask me about women. Uh, We're getting there, don't worry. We're getting there. Okay, so. um, We're just starting at the little people first. Singapore would be one of the top performers in the international comparative assessments in the maths Olympiads with other countries, not the only ones, and with other Asian countries. What is obscured, what you can't see is what is it? inside or underpinning the Singapore maths program. And there are two parts to it, one of which we can adopt, the other of which is about culture. Okay. Okay. So what we can adopt is that you will find in Singapore maths a very rigorous approach to mathematics. Okay. That's a positive. That's absolute positive. The materials have been really well developed. You know, I would look at them. They're coherent. They're mathematically um, robust. Uh, they develop. They're a national curriculum. There's one textbook. Main. I, you know, I don't really know exactly how it works in Singapore, but there would have been huge investment in the development of that work, which would have been done by mathematicians, maths educators, teachers, um, together to produce the best set of materials. And they are mathematically driven and qualitative, right. okay, and therefore good to use. Why do they work in Singapore? 
it matches the culture. And that's a culture of huge investment, both spiritually, emotionally, in education, in learning, in prowess, in discipline, in what many of my Chinese colleagues would say is Confucianism. And I don't know enough about this. We're not Confucius. Okay, we're not. We have a different culture. So I would be very interested, and I don't know the answer to this question. I'm too busy doing my own stuff, but I would love to have time to look at, well, what's going on in Singapore classrooms here? How do they look in relation to Singapore classrooms elsewhere? And so this is not the only place where there's been some attempt to adopt um, materials and strategies and processes for teaching and learning mathematics from countries that appear to be successful. There's a whole program going on in the UK at the moment around what they call Shanghai Maths, or China, um, what, what's informed by, by um, strategies and, and ways of working with mathematics in China. I've just come back from there, actually. I've been there for a meeting. And um, there's been an interchange between... Uh, the education authorities and people in China, uh, but in Shanghai in particular, and then um, many teachers from the UK, both primary and secondary, um, learning and using the Shanghai materials. Now, um, there's a whole process of ways of doing mathematics that I use in my project at the moment to inform and work with teachers here that's very successful. And... um, it's too complicated to kind of go into it on the on the on the program, but what the British have been trying to do is to say, can we can we get more structure back into our lessons? Can we get more structure back into? And more structure is not about discipline; it's about the structure of mathematics. So there's a there's a tension in mathematics. Mathematics, you have to subordinate yourself to its rules to its processes. And you have to appreciate what these things we call mathematical objects are, what the structures are about them. And to teach that is not trivial. It's not easy. And to learn it is not easy. Um, And it's in tension with a sense of individual freedom, the children must be happy in class. Mm. Um, it's in tension with those things. And if you look at the UK, the US, um, those, those pedagogies are built on, um, individual freedoms, the democracy of the, the democracy of the classroom, the well-being of the child. Um, and so what we try to do here, I think, is we're trying to have both of these um, and you need to have both of them because you've, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to say, if, if we thinking about what we need here, you need to have both the discipline and the creativity. And they're not in conflict. They are in direct interrelation. Professor Adler, before we go, oh, goodness, before we, we don't have very much time. And I do want to go into women, but mm-hmm. I think this will have to be a very quick question, though, for you. Before we leave this topic, you talk about literacy of math and you talk about structure of math. Does it matter what form, when you get to, to uh, math at university level, does it matter what system you learned so long as you know and understand the math? Does it matter what system you got to get there, whether it was Cumon or Singapore or whatever other system? You're confusing two things. Okay. Right. Does it matter what the pedagogy was? 
um, I would answer yes and no. That's not the main thing. It's really about how the content was structured and then how that was enabled. And pedagogy is profoundly cultural. Wow, that is so interesting. So we've got one minute left. I can't believe it's gone so quickly. Um, Professor Adler, um, in our last remaining women, um, women and maths, we tend to see women being underrepresented, but you saying it's not that that's the case, they're just underexposed. No, 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 no. So women and maths where? <laughs> mathematicians? Uh, there are many, many women mathematicians. Um, in mathematics, there are f- what are called fields medals and other medals for outstanding mathematical work. In all its history, we only have two women two women medalists. That says nothing about women. It says everything about the field. And it's hugely um, understood, and it's a process, but it's one that's taking a long time. So there's women mathematicians will talk about uh, glass ceiling. We're breaking through it, but only slowly. In education, my colleagues, my mentors, my uh, role models have all been women. And I know you are indeed a mentor to so many women in South Africa. We have to leave it there. But thank you so much for coming in. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Professor Jill Adler, who is a mathematician, and Professor, at, uh, Professor of Maths at Wits University.